Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. They were so excited, they wanted to really exalt um, Gideon and, in a sense, make him a king and certainly make him a ruler over them. But Gideon, verse 23, was wise enough to say, I will not rule over you, nor shall my son rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. And, and you know, this is one of the good things about Gideon is that he knew that God ultimately had the right to rule over his people, and that would be the best thing. Welcome to today's edition of Truth in Christ Radio. Because of Gideon's victory in the battle against the Midianites, the people of Israel wanted to make him their king. The desire for a human king over Israel started early in the nation's history. Hundreds of years later, God gave Israel the king they asked for. Gideon's response was, I will not rule over you. This was a good response from Gideon. He understood that it was not his place to take the throne over Israel and that the Lord God was king over Israel. Have you responded like Gideon and allowed Jesus to be ruler over your life? Now let's join Pastor Rob. Gideon says, God has delivered into your hands the princes of Midian, Oreb, and Zeeb, And what was I able to do in comparison with you? You guys have done this great thing. We haven't even caught the kings yet, and you got the two princes. And then notice what it says. Then their anger toward Gideon subsided when he had said that. And we're going to see Zeba and Zalmunna captured later on in the chapter. But let's go on to verse 4 here. It says, When Gideon then came to the Jordan, he and the 300 men who were with him crossed over. So now they're moving eastward toward the Jordan River because all this this battle had happened on the west side of the Jordan River. Now the, the, the enemy is fleeing now, going over the Jordan, trying to get over there. And now that's where Gideon and his army is going as well. So he and 300 men who were with him, they crossed over exhausted but still in pursuit. And then he said to the men of Sukkoth, Sukkoth is or Sakot is how you pronounce it, I believe, in Hebrew. Uh, this town, Sakot, was right on the eastern uh, side of the Jordan River, not too far away from the Jordan River. And so they just get over the border. They're tired. They're exhausted. And he says to, Gideon says to the men of Sakot, he said, Please give loaves of bread to the people who follow me, for they're exhausted. And you can understand why. And he says, For I am pursuing Zeba, and Zalmunna, the kings of Midian. So these guys are different. These are the kings. The other two were the princes. 
And so Ziba and Zalmunna, and this is the first time we see these two kings mentioned in the Bible. Ziba, his name means man killer or sacrifice. How would you like your mother to name you that when you're born? You know, for your mother to look down at this cute little bundle and say, man killer. <laughs> How great is that? Or sacrifice. Maybe this kid is so ugly. You know, never mind, I won't go there. And Zalmunna, his name means deprived of protection. You know, isn't that a nice thing to name your son? Deprived of protection. Amazing. And the leaders of Sukkot said, Are the hands of Ziba and Zalmunna now in your hand, that we should give bread to your army? And you know what they were really concerned about is this tribe, because remember, um, these people groups on the other side of the Jordan, uh, Manasseh, Gad, and Reuben, they dwelt on that other side of the Jordan River, and they're thinking to themselves, unless we see the heads of these two kings uh, we don't want to have any kind of relationship with you. We don't want to partner with you because if you don't get them, they're going to come back and take care of us. And so uh, we see them kind of pushing back on the children of Israel, on Gideon and his army now, because I believe they were afraid, afraid of what would might happen to them if they led the other men uh, if they were part of capturing those two kings. So verse 7, So Gideon said, For this cause, when the Lord has delivered Ziba and Zalmunna into my hand, then I will tear your flesh with the thorns of the wilderness and with briars. And then he went up from there to Penuel. Now Penuel is just uh, a little bit, a town a little bit more to the east of Sakot. And it was known for, it had a really big tower in this place. So he also spoke to the men of Penuel. And again, they're still pursuing these two kings and their leftover army. And so he spoke also to the men of Penuel saying, When I come back in peace, uh, actually I skipped a verse, I'm sorry. Uh, verse 8, let's go back to verse 8. Then he went up from there to Penuel, and he spoke to them in the same way. And the men of Penuel answered him as the men of Sakat had answered him. So he, he also spoke to the men of Penuel, saying, When I come back, I will tear down this tower. So now you've got two of these people groups, uh, two of these towns of men that should have been the, their their allies, are now not really helping them for fear of the Midianites if something if they don't wipe them out then they're going to have to deal with them. So uh, Gideon makes a promise. You know, When we come back, after we get these two guys, we're going to come back and take care of business here. And so in verse 10 it says, Now Ziba and Zalmunna were at Karkor, and we don't really know where this place is, but probably somewhere south of both of these towns in a desert area. And so uh, Ziba and Zalmunna were there at the city called Karkor, or this area called Karkor, with their armies with them, about 15,000 men, all who were left of the army of the people of the east. For 120,000 men who drew the sword had fallen. So now we see in this verse 10 here, uh, we can see how big the army of the Amalekites and the Midianites and these other from the east, how many it really comprised, 135,000. That's where we get that number. So 120 of them had fallen. Now they're chasing these 15,000 that are left along with these two kings. Then in verse 11 it says, Then Gideon went up by the road of those who dwell on the tents on the east of Noba and Jogbaha, which are two other cities. And he attacked the army while the camp felt secure. And when Ziba and Zalmunna fled, he pursued them, and he took the two kings of Midian, Ziba and Zalmunna, and he routed the whole army. He, he basically destroyed the whole army, confused them, tore them up, 
And it says in verse 13, Then Gideon, the son of Joash, returned from battle from the ascent of Herez, and he caught a young man of the men of Sakat and interrogated him. And he wrote down for him the leaders of Sakat and its elders, 77 men. And then he came to the men of Sakat, and now he's going to deliver on the promise that he had told them because of the way they treated them when they were pursuing these kings. Now they literally have the two kings in their hands. They haven't killed them yet, and they bring them back, and they go into this town that they first came to and said, See the two guys here? We're going to take, we're going to um, inflict some. Uh, we're going to teach you. In fact, I think I like how it says here in verse 16. Uh, let me back up to verse 15, actually. So, then he came to the men of Sakoth and said, Here are Zeba and Zelmuna, about whom you ridiculed me, saying, Are the hands of Zeba and Zelmuna now in your hand, that we should give bread to your weary men? And he took of the elders of the city, and he took thorns of the wilderness and briars, and with them he taught the men of Sakoth. And so, uh, I like this word taught. He, he examined them with these things. So it was a pretty painful examination, painful interrogation, something they probably wouldn't get by in a court today. Uh, but then it says that they tore down the tower of Penuel, which is that other town right to the east of Sakoth, and they killed the men of the city. And so, and he said to Zeba and Zalmunna, what kind of men were they whom you killed at Tabor. So now they've got these two kings, and evidently there was a an event that had occurred, and it's not recorded for us in uh, in the Bible, as far as I know. I uh, looked into it, and I don't believe there is anything. There, there's no record of it, but evidently these these kings of Midian, they killed some men at Tabor, which is Gideon's family, his his brothers in that area. And so they said to them, what kind of men were they whom you killed at Tabor? So they answered, as you are, so were they. Each one resembled the son of a king. And so Gideon, no doubt here, is going to act as, uh, in a sense, as the avenger of blood now for his brothers. Because now he knows in this event, again, that's not recorded for us, that these two kings had killed. And so Gideon is going to take vengeance upon them uh, for killing their brothers in cold blood. And so, verse 19, Then he said, They were my brothers and the sons of my mother. As the Lord lives, if you had let them live, I would not kill you. And so you can imagine uh, these two kings now. um, You know, when they were captured, who knows what they were thinking but now that they know that they've been found out and they were indeed the killers of um, Gideon's family or his brothers, the men of his tribe, now they were very afraid and now they know that they're going to die. And and he said to Jether, uh, Gideon had a son named Jether, his firstborn, and he says, rise and kill them. But the youth would not draw his sword for he was afraid because he was still a youth. And you can imagine these two kings now. It, it's, a, it's a great shame in that culture for any king, great king of any country, to be killed by a woman or to be killed by a man who is inexperienced in war. And so what Gideon is giving his son Jether is giving him this, uh, this, this honor, really, of slaying these two kings. And it would be a real embarrassment for these two kings to be killed by such a young man who had no skill in battle yet. And so, verse 21, Zeba and Zalmunna said, uh, after his son wouldn't do anything, 
uh, they said to Gideon, Rise and rise yourself and kill us, for as a man is, so is his strength. And so Gideon arose, and he killed Zeba and Zalmunna, and he took the crescent ornaments that were on their camels' necks. Evidently, the Midianites and the Amalekites, they were, they were called Ishmaelites because they came from that group of people. And, of course, they had the crescent moon uh, ornaments, which you know they, uh, Gideon took them from the camels' necks. Now, notice as we get into verse 22... 22 here is really where we can learn a a lesson and we can apply this to our own life uh, this evening. As we look at verses 22 down through 28, we see uh, a time in the life, an event in Gideon's life, that he probably, if he could go back, he would uh, undo this if he could. And so let's read it. It says, Then the men of Israel, they said to Gideon, Now remember at this time there there was no king in Israel. We know that Saul, many, um, a few hundred years in the future yet, uh, from the moment we're talking about now, would be Israel's first king. But that's why they call this the book of Judges, because there was really no king over the entire land of Israel or Canaan at the time, because it really wasn't um, united yet. There were pockets of things that were happening. And so they were just deliverers in areas of Israel at the time. And so... The men of Israel, after this great battle, said, Rule over us, both you and your son and your grandson also, for you have delivered us from the hand of Midian. So this had been something that uh, the Midianites had been doing for years. And uh, they were finally, they were so tired of it. Now that they had this great victory, they were so excited. They wanted to really exalt um, Gideon and, in a sense, make him a king and certainly make him a ruler over them. But Gideon, verse 23, was wise enough to say, I will not rule over you, nor shall my son rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. And, And, you know, this is one of the good things about Gideon is that he knew that God ultimately had the right to rule over his people. And that would be the best thing. That would be the best thing for there to be a, a theocracy rather rather than a monarchy. Uh, God would have been the one and should have been the one to rule over them. But you know, the temptation of any lesser man than Gideon at this time would have been very great at this time to take that those accolades, to take that praise and to allow them to uh, make him rich and make him a ruler over him. But Gideon knew better. And that was probably the only thing in this section of Scripture that he did right uh, because we see something really horrible now happening, beginning in verse 24. It says, Then Gideon said to them, I would like to make a request of you. Yeah, I don't want to be a king. I don't want to rule over you, but, you know... He says, uh, he says, I would like to make a request of you that each of you would give me the earrings from his plunder. So after they had plundered the Midianites, all the Midianites had gold earrings in their ears. And so uh, there was quite a, quite a bit of gold. And so Gideon says, why don't you just give me the gold from the earrings? And they were glad to do so. They were willing to do that. And this is where the problem really began. And so, and this is where we have to be really careful. So they answered, and they said, We will gladly give them, and they spread out a garment, and you can picture this in your mind, and each man threw into it the earrings from his plunder. Now the weight of gold earrings uh, that he requested was 1,700 shekels of gold, 
beside the crescent ornaments, pendants, and purple robes that were on the kings of Midian, and beside the chains that were around their camel's neck. This is about 42 pounds, if I'm, if, uh, it's about 42, 43 pounds worth of gold that now is there, and he takes all that gold. And Gideon made it into an ephod, and he set it up in his city in Oprah. And all Israel, and here's, the, here's where the, the music goes to a minor key, <laughs> and all Israel played the harlot with it there. It became a snare to Gideon and to his house. And when you think of a harlot, you think of some, a woman who has been unfaithful. She's not only been unfaithful to, to, um, to her husband, perhaps, if she even has a husband, but she's um, she's committed adultery, and so what what they've really done here is, in addition to maybe any physical adultery they were involved in, they were certainly guilty of spiritual adultery because now they had started playing the harlot with this gold ephod that Gideon had made. They began to venerate it. They began to worship it, and you know it's interesting that it. It was a relatively easy thing, hundreds of years prior to this, for God to bring Israel out of Egypt. But even it took him hundreds of years. Not that it was God's fault, but it it was easy to get Israel out of Egypt. But it was hard to get Egypt or to get um, Egypt out of Israel. And so, because of their idolatry, because of the the nations that were in the promised land that they didn't completely drive out, they became entangled and ensnared again with their idols. And this had been something that we're going to see as we go along, had been something uh, in their track record that, that went on for hundreds of years. And it wasn't really until God had allowed them, the northern ten tribes, to go into captivity by the Assyrians and Judah and Benjamin by the Babylonians, and it wasn't until they came back from Babylon that that they really had kind of severed their ties with this whole idea of idolatry like they were um, accustomed to doing up until that time. They were finally broke of it, in a sense, and and they never really continued like they were. They weren't perfect, but nobody is. But God seemed to have drilled that point home to them. But notice this ephod. It was something that only the high priest was supposed to wear, the ephod. And the ephod, remember, had the 12 stones of uh, each one signifying the tribe of Israel. And it would have a pocket in it where they could have the Urim and Thummim, these two stones, a white and a black stone. And so now Gideon makes this golden ephod. And it's very uh, possible that he wasn't really trying to uh, make himself a priest per se. Uh, it could just have been a symbol of civil authority rather than some kind of religious or priestly authority. And this is proven because it wasn't until after his death that the children of Israel went um, whoring after it, in a sense. So all the time during Gideon's life and while he was alive, they, they didn't worship it. They didn't, uh, it didn't become a problem until after his death, which is usually the way it goes. Whenever the, 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 the judge dies, then the children of Israel, as is typical of this, and typical really of human beings, of the sinful, of just our nature uh, that we're born with, <laughs> we go downhill and, and we go back to like a, like a dog returning to its vomit. So they did with their idolatry. And so, um, you know, the ark... Uh, the tabernacle, and the priesthood at this time was still in Shiloh, which was to the south of Manasseh where Gideon was and where this ephod had been set up and where they began to worship it. But all the while they were doing that, you can just see the departure of the children of Israel because instead of going down to 
the ark and and maybe they were uh, going down there for some of the feasts don't really know at this time but the priesthood was already established down there it was corrupt certainly and it wasn't doing well but there it was in Shiloh and we see it there um, we see Joshua erecting the tabernacle in Joshua chapter 18 and it's there until first Samuel chapter 4 verse 3 hundreds of years go by and then finally the Philistines take the ark and the the priesthood is kind of dismantled uh, somewhat at that time but then it says uh, then Gideon made it an ephod and he set it up in his city Oprah uh, which means fawn that's the name of the word and all Israel played the harlot with it there it became a snare to the Gideon in his house and this uh, place called Oprah is really right on the border it's on the southern border of Manasseh and uh, just north of the border of Ephraim so there's this little town there where this place was set up. And um, so all Israel played the harlot with it. And it's interesting that God had Gideon destroy his father's altar of Baal. And it's like, it's like going from one altar, pagan altar, to what they think might have, might have been a little more sanctified altar, but it's really no different because if God is not involved in it and they're worshiping something other than God, it doesn't matter what the object is. They could have put the Ark of the Covenant there, and if they worshiped the Ark, it would still be idolatry. They had to worship God, not some kind of image made of gold. Again, it was easy for God to get Israel out of Egypt. It took a long time for God to get Egypt out of Israel. And uh, as is true for some of us when we came out of the world and uh, living in the world and the lusts of the flesh, you know, uh, God can, can bring us out of that. And then it's a process of sanctification to get the world out of us. And that just takes time. And we have to be patient with that process. But God is involved in that process. But notice that it didn't matter because uh, this altar of Baal that, that, that Joash, uh, Gideon's father, had made, it was really no different than this uh, golden ephod that Gideon had erected. Turn with me to Numbers chapter 21. We're going to look at uh, an, uh, something, an event in the life of Israel, Numbers 21, beginning in verse 4. And as soon as we start reading this, you're going to understand why we're going here. Because Again, it wasn't long after God had gotten Israel out of Egypt. They were in the desert. Moses was leading them. And look at what happens in Numbers chapter 21, beginning in verse 4. It says, Then they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way, and the people spoke against God and against Moses. And they said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? Does that sound like something that God would do? I'm going to deliver you from a place where you're, you, know, you were dying and, and having a tough time, but I'm delivering you so that I can kill you out here. You know, they just they had no concept, and certainly they were struggling, but they were also very disobedient. And they were, um, God was trying to prove them. That's what the Bible says. He proved them in the wilderness to see 
if they would be obedient to him or to follow their own carnal desires, which they had learned in Egypt. Again, God trying to get Egypt out of them. But notice, verse 5, And the people spoke against God and against Moses, Why have you brought us out here, out of Egypt, to die in the wilderness? For there's no food, there's no water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread, this manna that God was giving to them miraculously every single day, several hundreds of thousands of people, maybe even a million or two, and now they're complaining about this worthless bread, they say. So the Lord, as a result, he sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of Judges. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things, such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play and Apple Podcast. You may also join us on Sundays and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.